Episode 2 of Fitness Behaviour with Bevan James Owls. Hey, it's just about the environment. guys welcome along to episode two of fitness behavior with bevan james Isles, uh, your monthly podcast on all things about fitness behavior that's designed to help you grow through looking at the behaviors you have around fitness to help you achieve a lifetime love of fitness and, and get all the benefits that are based around that well first of all in this week's show before i get into the main content of the show i just want to say a huge thank you to everybody out there uh when, when I when I thought about doing this podcast, I obviously wanted it to be pretty successful, and and I know it's only you know episode two right now in its early days, but the success of this podcast so quickly has been unbelievable. I released uh, the podcast, you know, well a few weeks ago now, but uh, it's been as high as number five on the iTunes Music Store for podcasts in some countries around the world. And you know, in its first week, and that's not just in health and fitness, as in all podcasts around, you know, and out there, it's got as high as number five in some countries. And for me, you know, like it's just blowing my mind. <laughs> like you do these things, and you hope they're going to be successful. But you know, the support you guys have shown, and obviously telling other people about the show and, and helping get me, help me get the word out there is. I just can't thank you guys enough. I, I really want to make this into an amazing podcast that helps you grow every month to give you ideas and concepts that maybe you haven't thought of or, you know, maybe you need just to resharpen your tools. Uh, the, the, I've got a quite a few emails coming through about the show and lots of cool feedback and I'm going to actually read out a couple of them at the end of today's show. So hang out for the end and I might just read out a couple emails from some of the people who had some really good feedback on the first podcast, which is really great. Um, just just if you do want to help me spread the word, I think it's it's obviously... One of the best ways to get the word out there is just word of mouth. So if you are enjoying the content on either the first show or this week's show or this month's show, uh, just email a friend, let them know what we're doing here and, and tell them. Uh, iTunes reviews are just one way to really help me. So if you want to go on iTunes, if you enjoyed the show, just give the show a review and uh, that helps the show as well. And uh, just any other way you could think to help spread the word is definitely going to help me if you're on Facebook or Twitter or any of those social networks. You know, tell the world and and the bigger we can make the audience, the bigger the bigger. I, I'm going to be happier. <laughs> That's just me being honest. So uh, this week's show, I've done a, a topic I'm really kind of, um, really fascinated with in life. And uh, and I do, it's been a, once I kind of discovered this for my own life, it's been a huge influence in the way I conduct my success or the way I try to be successful. And so um, I'm not going to blabber on anymore. It's, um, it's, it's time to put some music on. Let's rock and roll on to the Today Show. few years ago there were a couple Princeton University psychologists by the name of John Daly and Daniel Batsman and they were fascinated with the story of the Good Samaritan. Now for those of you who don't know the Good Samaritan is, is a biblical story of, of a man who was beaten and robbed and left to death on the road between Jericho, no, Jerusalem and Jericho. And what was fascinating about the story of the Good Samaritan was that while this man was sitting on the side of the road the top clergyman of the time and the top businessmen and, and the people in society who you considered to be the highly moral people all walked past this man who had been left to dead on the side of the road. 
eventually a, a Samaritan era, a Samaritan is kind of like saying, you know, a, a, a Cantabrian or a person from a certain area. And the Samaritans at the time were kind of considered the lesser class citizen. And so eventually the Samaritan was walking down the road and he saw the person in need of help. And the Samaritan got the man, took him to a local inn, fed him, got him well, and, and obviously helped this person to survive. And hence the story began of the Good Samaritan. Darley and Batson were, were fascinated by this story, and so fascinated that they thought if they could do an experiment to see what the results would be in, in modern times around the story of the Good Samaritan. So they set up a test, they set up a test to, to see what would happen. And what they did is they basically went and found some theology students. They didn't want to just choose normal people, they wanted to choose people who they thought would sit in line with certain morals that would maybe be similar to a good Samaritan. So they went to the Princeton University Theology School and they got a bunch of theology students. And then what they did is they said to the theology students, we need you to write an essay that you're going to present to another group based around what it is like to be a good Samaritan. They also had some other examples of essays, but all based around some kind of religious theme. And what they were doing is they were setting up a group of people who they considered to be morally better or considered themselves to be, you know, moral. And they got them to write a subject around the idea of a good Samaritan. Once they designed their study, the professor said to them, look, when you go out of this building, down the road a K, up three sites, flights of stairs, there's another building where you're going to do this presentation to a group of people. So of all these theology students who had just written a piece around the Good Samaritan that they were going to present, off they went along to the, you know, down the road, three sites, flights to present their presentation. But little did these students know that they had been planted with a test, that along the road between the two buildings, the two professors had set up a plant of someone who was in need, someone who was obviously in desperate need of help. The first time they did the study, 63% of the people, these again were the people who considered themselves to be, you know, good Samaritans themselves and were also going to write and present a study on good Samaritans. 63% of them stopped and helped the person in need. Which I suppose when you think about it, you know, it's kind of obvious these people are the type of people who would stop someone in need and, you know, they've been put in an environment that would, you know, obviously kind of enhance those actions. But the professors weren't totally satisfied with that. So they did this experiment again. Again, they found some theology students who considered themselves to be morally, you know, good moral people would obviously look after other people. And again, they, they put them in a situation where they had to do a presentation based around religious theories or religious thinking. And again, some of them even had to write about the Good Samaritan. Like the, like the first time they, at the end of the, they'd done their presentation, they said, look, you need to go down this building out, you know, 1K down the road, up three flights of stairs and do your presentation to a group in front of you. But the second time they did the experiment, they changed just one thing. They said to the group of theology students, look, we're running late and you went to do the presentation 10 minutes ago. Can you hurry up down the road because we're in a real rush to make sure we get this presentation done on time? Again, the plant was there, so the person in need was there to set up. The second time they did the experiment where they changed this one condition by putting a time frame on it, only 10% of the students stopped and helped the person in need. 
One student even walked over the person in need because they were in such a hurry. How could it be that these people, these highly people who consider themselves highly moral, who have been told to focus on being a good Samaritan, deliberately walk over the top of or avoid this person when they should have been so focused on it? And what Darlene Baston concluded was, is that what people say they are and what they do aren't always the same thing. That our context or the environment has a big influence on the decisions we make. And that's what I'm going to talk about today. How the environments in your life have a bigger influence on the actions you take in your life than what you necessarily think you are or what you say you are in your everyday world. I thought I'd share a bit of an experience of mine about this. In my time as an Ironman triathlete, I I did these things called epic camps. Now, epic camps, for those of you who don't know about them, are extreme training camps that are designed for high, high-level Ironman triathletes. Now, um, some of you may not even know what an Ironman is. An Ironman is you swim 3.8Ks, you bike 180Ks, and you run a marathon all in one day as fast as you can. And epic camp is for those people who are the fittest of the fittest, trying to take it to the next level. A typical day on epic camp would be you'd wake up in the morning, swim anywhere from maybe three to you know, three to six Ks, bike anywhere from 150 to 250 Ks and run at least 50 minutes. Some days you'd even run up to two hours or more. Now, that sounds like a lot of training, but the thing about Epic Camp is they would go anywhere from eight days to 13 days of training just like that. And the particular camp I'm going to talk about right now is a few years ago, and it was a th- I ended up doing 13 days similar to that kind of level. And I remember... It was about day six, and I remember waking up in the morning, and when you do these camps, your body is just so fatigued. It's, it's unbelievably, unbelievably fatigued. So I remember waking up in the morning, and my undercarriage, you know, the bit between my legs, was so much pain because sitting on a saddle for seven, six, seven, eight hours a day, it just had enough, and I didn't even want to get out of bed. I remember the stress of the camp. I wasn't sleeping, so I was probably only getting three hours sleep a night. So while I'm physically fatigued, I'm also mentally stressed because I'm just not sleeping. I'm in a place where I'm just I'm just over it. I wake up and I think to myself, I just can't do it today. I just can't do it today. And I lay there in bed and I go to myself, well, just get up and have breakfast. If you can just get up and have breakfast is a chance, you know, you might be able to get on your bike and at least start the day. So I, I, I remember I literally had to physically pull my legs, you know, use my hands to help get my legs out of bed and kind of stood up like an old man, bent over and not feeling really happy. And I, and I walked out to the to the big open area where everyone was having breakfast and, and it, it was just dead silence. There's kind of a quiet radio happening in the background and, and it was just dead silence. And you looked at, you know, the 20 other athletes around and... It was like there was a room full of zombies because we were all under this huge extreme fatigue. At breakfast time I got some food in and and I remember thinking, oh, I don't know if I could do it. And at this stage, even the idea of putting your bike shoes on was just, you know, epic and crazy. And so, you know, the whole time I just convinced myself, just get out on the bike, just start on the bike today. So my first goal was all focusing on just, you know, just get the first 20Ks, see what happens. So I eventually get all my gear on and, you know, get all ready for, get my food for the day and get on the bike and 
even just jumping on the bike, I was in pain. We start riding, you know, the crew takes off, we'd, we'd probably had to ride, I think we had to ride 200Ks that day, and we'd started riding, and I, I thought to myself, today's the day I break, today's the day where I'm not going to make it, and I was thinking that I'd pretty much go to the first break, which is probably about 40-50Ks into the bike ride, and I'd just pull out for the day. We started riding along, and there was this kind of feeling within the group, this feeling of fatigue, and we're riding along for a little bit, and I'm feeling sorry for myself, and I'm pretty sure everyone around me was feeling pretty sorry for themselves as well. And then all of a sudden, a guy called Mark Petrofessor, a guy we call the Curly Freight Train because he was a strong built man and, and, a, and a, an animal on the bike, you know, right? When Mark took off, you just, you hoped you could stay on his wheel. But Mark Petrofessor, out of nowhere, from the back of the pack of around 20 cyclists, just took off. Like, took off out of nowhere. And then the next thing, you know, the guy called Gordo, who's kind of one of the big brains of triathlon and, and loves triathlon, and you, you, once you start talking to Gordo about triathlon, you're, you're going to be stuck for five hours because he's so passionate about the sport. Well, next thing, you know, Gordo takes off after Mark. And then all of a sudden, I was fired up. All of a sudden, all that fatigue I'd felt in the whole morning had just disappeared. All of a sudden, I wanted to chase those boys down. And, and next thing you know... I went from this sudden, you know, this tired, feeling sorry for myself, going to quit state of fatigue, into a moment where I was riding like an animal again. And that day, we rode so strong, it was one of my proudest days of training I ever had as an athlete. Now, could have I done that by myself? When I look at Epic Camp in itself, you know, I don't know if I could ever achieve that by myself. You know, just the completion of the camp, 13 days of, you know, 8 hours plus exercise a day. But in the environment of Epic Camp, when you put together a group of athletes who are all trying to be the best that they can be, and there's an underwritten rule that we are all going to push ourselves to an absolute max, in that environment, I was the best athlete I could be. We didn't just do the hours. We trained hard and we pushed our body to our absolute max. If I'd woken up in that morning without the environment, the guys, the support, the motivation, the, the, the principles behind that group, there's no way I would have got out of bed. No matter how strong I am, there's no way I would have got out of bed. But in that environment, in the epic environment, I was living up to the expectation of that environment. When you think about success in fitness or success in any area of life, it's often like, you know, from the study I talked about at the beginning of things, it's often the environments that we are in that have the biggest influence on how we behave towards that goal. Think about your own life. You know, think about the, 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 the different person, the different people you are in your own life. You know, there's the fundamental you, there's the core values that we try to all sit in and the way we behave. But when you think about it, you know, when you're hanging out with your mates at the bar, you know, having drinks after work or something like that, are you different to what you are in a meeting with someone you really respect? Are you different to what you are in a sports club when you're hanging out with playing sports with people? Are you different to what you are when you're at home with your husband, wife or children or whoever you live with? We often think we are one thing, but we're actually lots of different things based on the environments we put ourselves in. 
I know this is definitely true for me. I know, you know, certain different environments have a huge influence on the way I act in this world. And So what does this mean for us with our health and fitness? Well, there's two things I'm going to talk to in, in today's podcast are based around that. And the first is, if we can truly believe that our environments have a bigger, have a huge influence on our behaviours, then we can consciously choose the environments that we put ourselves in. If we truly believe that our environments have a huge influence on our behaviours, we can consciously choose the environments we put ourselves in. Let's say, for example, you wanted to um, run a half marathon. You could choose to do it by yourself. You could choose to find a program off the internet and you could practice, you know, to find running and you know, read some books around it and do that. And, and you know what? That, I'm sure that would work pretty well. But if you were to find a group of, you know, 30 people who are all training for a half marathon and, and all have this understanding that they're going to work together, you know, to get help each other grow, to feel supported, you know, to get each other towards this goal, that would push you, motivate you, encourage you to be the best athlete you would be, do you think you'd be more successful in achieving that goal? It's kind of one of the reasons, like if you think about it, it's kind of one of the reasons why um, home exercise equipment is just such a waste of money. Because when you think about home, home isn't designed as an environment to exercise. And while you may have all the intentions of the world when you you know open up your wallet and give your credit card and all your details over to buy this equipment, you, you put it in an environment that's not designed for exercise. But if you if you were instead to think about putting yourself in an environment where exercise is successful, well, that's where you would start to be more successful with your exercise. So I suppose, I suppose the next point is, is how do we look at environments? And I think, I think I'm going to break this down in three ways. I'm, I'm going to say, first of all, what environments should we remove ourselves from? Which environments should we be moving ourselves towards? And which environments could we create for ourselves? I'm going to start with remove ourselves from, and I'll share a, a, one of my little stories, because I, I seem to like stories. And, and there was a time when I was a real druggie. Um, I'm sure you know, guys may, may or not know, but I was kind of a big druggie in my early teens, late teens. And and I remember I finally, I had the experience where I decided I was going to give up. And I, I pretty much went cold turkey from being someone who was stoned pretty much 24-7 to giving up the two weeks later. And I remember one of the biggest things I had to do and giving up the drugs was totally remove myself from my core friends. I, you know, like I was 18, 17, 18, you know, and at this time, probably 19 at the time, but, you know, when you're 17, 18, you've got your group of mates you hang out with all the time, and, and you know, you go to your mate's house every weekend, and you'd spend, every, you know, from from Friday night through to Sunday night, you'd spend all your mates' your time with your mate's house, and I had a group of about 12 mates who I just lived with, and they were, they were good friends, but I knew, somehow, somehow I figured this out, I knew that... For me to grow as a person, or for me to get away from drugs, the thing that was holding me back in life, I had to be away from the people that I associated drugs with. Now, it wasn't that these guys were bad guys, they weren't, they were just, you know, those young and experimenting and, and, you know, just doing things, but I knew at that time, I couldn't be a part of that life, I had to remove myself from it. Because for me to get over this hurdle in my life, I couldn't be in an environment that was going to be confronting me with the thing I was weak in. So when you look at your life, when you look at the environments you're putting yourself in, what environments are harmful to you? 
What environments are taking you away from the direction you want to be moving in your life? You know, I suppose when we think about environments, we can think about certain things, you know, like what, what kind of social values do certain environments have? You know, what are the habits of that environment? Is it a supportive environment? Like I'm always a big believer in growth and learning and all that kind of crazy, you know, stuff because I'm so passionate about that kind of crap. But, you know, is it helping you grow and learn as a person? Is there a lot of motivation in the environment that you're working from? And if not, what energy to your life does that environment bring? So the first thing you need to start to think about is, is just look at all the different environments in your life. Maybe your your home life, your work life, your exercise life, your you know all the different you know your hobby life, whatever you're trying to grow in in life, and and look at those environments. And if it's not a good environment, maybe you should think about removing yourself from that environment. And when you think about removing yourself from the environment, what environment could you move yourself towards? In a way that is going to take you in a direction you want to go in your life. So let's say, for example, and, and this is again back to my drug example. I went from the environment of being around young guys who were like we enjoyed our partying, and, and there was a negative side effect of that, which I, you know, didn't know how to control in myself. I went from that environment to working in a gym environment. Now, in the gym environment, I met people who were. Who, positive because they were fulfilled with exercise and and I met some really forward-thinking people and people who helped me grow and there was support and it was all about growing you and developing you and making you the best version of yourself and so I went from this environment which was a little bit repressive to this environment that was liberating and growing and and the values of the people was honesty and, and all these great things that I'd never really kind of been a part of in my life and I, I flourished in that moment so when you think about the negative environments in your life, then start to think about the environments that you'd like to move towards. You know, what environments in your life, or where are the environments in your life that are going to help you grow in the areas you want to know, want to grow in? Now, again, like I said in the last podcast, I don't, I don't determine your life. I, I, don't, I don't care what you do with your life. I want you to live the, the best life you can lead. So I don't have those answers for you, and I think that's something you need to figure out for yourself. But if you start to think about the areas you do want to grow in, and how you can grow in, and if you go back to the last podcast, those small steps, you can then start to look at environments that are going to help you to have those behaviours around those steps. It's interesting, a friend, a friend of mine, John, who I do the podcast to, is if you talk to him, he's a coach, and he coaches young athletes, and, and you, you hear coaches, and what coaches, what great coaches do is, great coaches, great leaders, really, they, they do create amazing environments, and you, you talk to guys like John, there's another guy I know who's a top rugby coach, and, and all they're doing is trying to develop people by creating amazing environments. And they look at the young athletes and they, they see where they are right now and they just try to take them up to the next step by placing them in the next level environment. So for a young triathlete, for example, they may, you know, put them in the regional competitions and, you know, once they get to a point where they're pretty good in the regional, they may go to the national competitions and, you know, they're showing them the next level by putting them up against the next level of a competitor and, and you know, showing the next level of coaching and all that around it. And ultimately, that's what you want to do. And the areas you're trying to grow in, you know, be it exercise or work or whatever it is, you know, where are you right now? Where is the next level? And then where is an environment that's going to help you go to that next level? 
You know, they often say if you want to develop as an athlete, don't train with people who are lesser ability than you or the same ability. Try to train with people who are just a little bit better than where you are. And this is a real example of that. You know, like a good athlete who's always trying to find the next level and find the next place where those guys are hanging out and, and learning their training methods and, and learning their mental toughness and learning you know the rules around that level. Like that athlete, you want to start looking for those environments where the next levels are already in place. So I've talked a little bit about two of the things I talked about before. I've talked about, you know, remove, slowly removing yourself away from the environments that are pulling you away from the direction you want to go in life. And then, and then try to find environments where those are already in place and consciously put yourself in those place, places. Lastly, I want to talk about the idea of the environment you create for yourself. And this is maybe a bit more of an advanced thing, and if, if this is kind of new to you guys, or, or maybe you are just better just to do the first two things of, of pulling away and moving towards. But then start to look at the way you create an environment for yourself. And, and I, th- I thought I'd share an example of one um, yeah, that I've used with my daughter. For a while there, my daughter and I seemed to be, you know, fighting, you know, t- tongue and toes. You know, she's, she's, you know, of an age, she's a teenager basically, and, and that can be a pain in the butt sometimes. And, and there was a while there, for just every day after school, it just wasn't working. You know, she'd come home, she'd be non-responsive to me. I would, um, you know, I would get upset with her and, and I'd become unreasonable because, you know, sometimes as a parent you do that and, and I'd punish you for the stupid things because she was ignoring me. And, and it was just like every day after school, it was just hard work. So eventually I looked at myself and I thought, well, as a parent, what can I do to change the situation because I love my daughter and, and I don't want to have an environment where we're always just at each other's throats. I want us to have a, a time, you know, where we can have good time together. And I looked at the environment that she came home from school to. Now, I'm fortunate in that I don't have to work when she comes home from school, so I'm, I'm pretty much at home every day after school when she gets home. But when I looked at the environment she came home to, it was pretty much a quiet house with me behind the computer. I'd be doing some work behind the computer. She'd walk in the door and then, you know, I'd turn to her and say, how was your day? And I looked at that environment and I thought, is that the kind of environment a teenage kid would really want to come home to? And, I, you know, obviously probably not. So what I decided to do is I looked at my daughter and I thought, okay, well, first of all, she loves the latest pop music and she's got this playlist on iTunes Tyler's playlist and you know she loves Tyler's playlist and so I thought well first thing I'm going to do is, is at 10 to 3 because she gets, normally gets home just around 3-ish I'm going to put on Tyler's playlist at the same time I'm going to get her a, I'm going to make her a snack a healthier snack so as soon as she walks in the door there's some food on the bench for her there so she can get some good energy into her system also at around 10 to 3 I'm going to get off my computer and I'm just going to be ready for when she comes in home when she comes in the door, I'm not going to bug her. I'm not going to say, how was school day expecting for her to answer me, you know, because that would be important to me, but not her. I just say to her, hey, babe, I really love that. It's great to see you, you know, and I'm really happy to see you. I'm just looking forward to seeing you, something like that. And just say, hey, I made something for you to eat. If you want to have a talk at any stage, feel free to come and talk to me. The change in our relationship was huge. You know, the difference between, you know, before I had those things that created that environment for her and afterwards was massive. We went from a place where we'd just always be at each other's throats to a place where actually, you know, after she got home from school, had a bite to eat and listen to her music and, you know, maybe call her friends or do the things that are important to her first, she would come to me and, would, and you know, we'd have, get along, we'd have a good conversation and, and, you know, it would lead to the rest of the day being really great. So when you think of, 
your environments? What are the things that you can do to make your environments better? What are the things that you can do to make your environments better? You know, your home life. What would be your ultimate feelings you'd want to have at home? Would you like to feel relaxed? Would you like to feel um, comfortable? And if you would like to feel, what are the things that you can do to make yourself feel more relaxed? Or what kind of environment can you create to make yourself feel more relaxed or more comfortable or whatever those things are? And your workplace. Do you want to be more productive? Well, what are the distractions that you have in front of you in your environment that you could maybe remove to make you more productive? In your exercise life, what are the things, the environments that you could create to make yourself be more successful with exercise? Maybe you could be the person who leads the walking group with you and your friends. Maybe you could look at the way you buy your groceries so you could make healthier choices around your eating decisions. So if I think of environments, the three different levels that we have, I truly believe that you can be successful if you find the environments that help you be successful. And the first thing we need to look at first of all is what environments are holding you back from the direction you want to go in your life? And then what environments could you move towards in a way is going to help you grow in the way, you know, obviously in the way you want to go in your life. And then lastly, what things can you do to help you create environments for yourself to be the best version of yourself? Once you understand this, and for me, this is an outlook on life. For me, like if I, you know, like I, I, in the last podcast I talked about piano, I'm now looking at myself and piano playing and, I, and I'm realising that for me the next level is to find an environment where I'm playing with other musicians and having education and support from great people around me. So early next year I'm looking to do some courses that are going to put me in those environments so I can grow as a musician to the next level. I've learned that while my success does come down to character and discipline and good personality traits, I also need to find the environments that are going to make me the best version of myself based around the activities and the goals I want to achieve. So when you look at your life and you look at the environment you're in and you look at the success you have, what could you do to consciously put yourself in environments that grow you, develop you, motivate you you know to create support the social aspect to, to help you find what you want to be in yourself and to encourage the behaviors that it takes to become whatever that is environments do have a huge influence in your life and once you truly understand this you can use it to your advantage to grow in ways that maybe you never thought possible. So that's uh, pretty much this week's show. Um, I'm like every show, what I do with fitness behavior, I'm basically going to create a, a worksheet to go alongside it. And I've created one that I'm, again, I'm really proud of. Um, it's a 10-page worksheet. And the idea is that it's, it's around you creating or looking at the environments you've got 
and having a look at them and being able to identify which ones are good, which ones are bad, and maybe directions you can move in to help you grow in these areas. Um, I got some feedback on the one I did in the first show, and people seem to really like what I've done there, which is, again, is great. Um, they're designed to be maybe half an hour to an hour on the side where you can just sit down and just have a process to go through to help you figure out where you are at based around today's show. So if you want to check that out and you want to get that, it's only $2 US, so it's less than a cup of coffee. Um, go to Bevan James Isles slash fitness behavior, and there's just a little link there. It just says uh, download to cart. Um, takes you through to PayPal. Click on there, and, and it basically downloaded as a PDF to your desktop, and you'll be sweet as. Um, again, like for me, it's one thing to listen, but it's another thing to actually apply, and it's often the sitting down and applying that has the biggest effect on your growth. So if you want to check that out, again, just go to Bevan James Isles slash fitness behavior and click on that little link there. Now, I did get some emails through for about the last show, and I thought I'd just read one out right now, but I just I kind of thought this was really great. So it's from a guy called Richard uh, Soares, and uh, I'll just read it from here. Um, I've been listening to I Am Talk, that's my other podcast, for over two years, and you've gotten me through two Ironmans and a handful of marathons. Just today, I listened to Bevan's debut fitness behavior podcast during my AM run and found it very thoughtful and insightful. Little did I know that later that day, my wife and I would be faced with a parenting issue that with our 11-year-old daughter trying to overcome a challenge with a new skill, dancing. She's a high achiever who excels at academics, sport, and music and has just started dance. She came home from her first class in tears because she did not master the skills in her first hour. She and I listened to the inaugural podcast of Fitness Behaviour together and she got the message. She is learning new life skills and now has a plan to approach the challenge in bite-sized pieces. Thank you for your inspiration and insight in my athletic goals and now for, for transcending a generation and discipline with my daughter with her goals. You guys are the best. You have a life. You have a lifelong fan. So uh, now I actually emailed Richard back and asked him his daughter's name and her name was Lauren. And so obviously Lauren, you're a pretty high achiever. And uh, and he's also got another daughter named Morgan. So and he sent through a photo that I'm going to put on the website with today's show notes um, of him finishing at Ironman Quarter Lane. And uh, he's obviously a pretty proud dad, and his daughters look like they're pretty proud of his uh, dad too. So, obviously, you guys are doing pretty great work there for your, for your family there, Rich, and uh, well done, Lauren, because I think you're obviously doing pretty great stuff. Um, again, you know, lots of good feedback coming through about the show. If you can help me get the word out there to everybody out there, that would be really great. Spreading the word by putting it on Facebook or on Twitter, or if you go to iTunes and write some feedback on iTunes, that'd be really great. Just the more you can do to help spread the word, the bigger we can make the community, and, and hopefully the, the more ideas I can help bring to you. Um, that's, that's pretty much this week's show. If you do have any questions or you want to give me any feedback, you can email me at bevanjames at gmail.com that's bevanjames at gmail.com um, I'll be back again next month I'm already kind of thinking about what I'm going to do for next month's show and I'm, I'm again I'm pretty excited about it but other than that I, I really need to think of an outro <laughs> so, so if you know of an outro if you want to kind of think of an outro for me and, and come up with an outro for this show um, email it through and maybe um, I'll I'll, I'll pick the best one over the next couple of months and we'll have an outro that we can always stick to just one thing I will talk to just before we leave um, on my website I have a monthly challenge so it's a free monthly challenge that you can get there's no cost involved you just sign up for the newsletter and uh, with the monthly challenge I just send out a, a, a 
physical or mental challenge for you to try to achieve. So for example, um, in August we did the discipline challenge where you had to choose one food that you had weakness in and you weren't allowed to eat it for a month or, or just one weakness. Some people chose alcohol, coffee, um, some people chose, oh, I chose sugar myself, <laughs> sugar and chips. Uh, in September you had a time trial challenge where uh, what, pe- what do people have to do? There? You have to do a ra- like a distance for like bike, swim, run, or just any kind of exercise, and then you have to try beat that by the end of the month. And so every month, I just kind of chuck ideas out there. So um, if you want to join up for that, feel free. Go to my website and just look up um, under the monthly challenge section, and uh, it'd be pretty great. Other than that, that's this week's show, and I really look forward to seeing you guys next month. Um, again, I need an outro. Help me out here. I'll talk to you guys next month. See you later. Thank you.